Before we come to Deputy Prime Minister's questions, I would like to point out that the British Sign Language interpretation of proceedings is available to watch on Parliament Live TV. We start with questions to the Prime Minister. Dean Russell. Question one, Mr Speaker. Deputy Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, I have been asked to reply on behalf of my right honourable friend, the Prime Minister. As the House will know, he is travelling in the United Arab Emirates, Saudi Arabia, to discuss energy security, diplomatic action on Russia and Ukraine, and regional issues, including Iran. Mr Speaker, with your forbearance, may I also say that I understand that four members of the Ukrainian Parliament are here with us in the gallery today. And I'm sure I speak for the whole House in saying that we stand in total solidarity with you. Camelot is one of the largest employers in Watford and for Watford, and its employees have worked tirelessly to successfully run the National Lottery for decades. They play an important role in communities across the UK, many local projects and good causes, including in my constituency. So whilst I obviously declare an interest in the Gambling Commission's decision yesterday not to appoint the licence to Camelot, I do wonder, given the current situation in Ukraine, if my right honourable friend considered it appropriate that the next licensee of the operator of the National Lottery is known to have a joint venture with Gazprom. Can I thank my honourable friend and just say what a, uh, an incredible job the National Lottery has done, delivering £45 billion to good causes. Uh, he's right, the fourth licence will ensure uh, operator profits are better uh, aligned with returns to good causes. Can I just also say on the specific points he makes, I understand that Alwyn's owner, Mr Komarak, who's long criticised the Putin regime, is in discussions with the Czech Republic government regarding the joint venture with Gazprom and removing its involvement. We now come to the Deputy Leader of the Opposition, Angela Rayner. Thank you, Mr Speaker, and can I also welcome Ukrainian MP MPs to this House today. And Mr Speaker, can I start by wholeheartedly welcoming the positive steps towards returning Nazardin, Zagari Ratcliffe and Anusha Ashuri to the UK. I'm sure members across the House want to show their support for their families and them. I know the Minister would agree that this devastating situation must never be repeated and other British nationals still trapped in Iran need to be brought home. So will the Minister commit to a review of these cases to understand what more could have been done by the British Government to secure releases and whether the lazy comments of the Prime Minister worsened the situation? Deputy Prime Minister. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can I first of all say that I can't yet confirm um, the reports we've seen in the media, but of course it feels like uh, positive signs, uh, and of course no one wants more than uh, me, but I'm sure all members of the House, to see uh, Nazanin, but also all of the arbitrarily detained nationals reunited with their loved ones. Yeah. I can tell the Honourable Lady, having worked for two years with the concerted diplomatic effort led by the Prime Minister, that we have done absolutely everything that we can. She shouldn't give succour to the despotic regime that detained, that detained our nationals in Iran or around the world by suggesting it's anyone else's responsibility other than theirs. Angela Mr Speaker, it's exactly for that reason 
that I asked for the review, that it's important to learn from our mistakes so we don't end up with other innocent families facing this ordeal again. So I hope the Minister will consider my comments. Mr Speaker, I'd like to thank all of the people who have been working tirelessly to bring British nationals home from Iran, our diplomatic staff and our world-leading British intelligence agencies. The role of the British intelligence today is critical in the face of Putin's aggression. The Deputy Prime Minister oversaw our Foreign Intelligence Services as Foreign Secretary, so can he confirm if at any time he overruled or ignored direct advice from the British Security Services? Deputy Prime Minister. Can I say to the Honourable Lady, it's, what she suggests is nonsense. Uh, she's talking about the House of Lords. Appointments Commission. Uh, they have a vetting process. Uh, I have never overruled uh, intelligence advice and I wouldn't comment on the details of it. What I would say and would agree with her on the strength, the agility of the British diplomatic service, which time and time again uh, are the unsung heroes in returning British nationals, often less celebrated cases than this. But I think now is a great opportunity to recognise the heroic work they do. Absolutely, I agree with the Minister regarding his comments on their heroic work. The Right Honourable Member was Foreign Secretary on the 17th of March 2020, when British intelligence reportedly warned against the granting of peerage to the Prime Minister's close friend and now Lord Lebedev of Hampton and Siberia. 48 hours later, the Prime Minister visited Lebedev at his home in London. Details of that meeting have never been released. In July 2020, Lebedev's appointment as peer was announced. So can he tell the House what changed between the security warning and the appointment? Deputy Prime Minister. Sorry, the, the Honourable Lady knows full well all individuals nominated for a peerage have done so in recognition of what their contribution is to society. And, and I should say, and I should say, I should say that includes those of Russian origin who contribute brilliantly to our nation, many of whom in this country are critics of the Putin regime. Live peerages are vetted by the House of Lords Appointments Commission uh, for, for matters of probity, and, and frankly, I think she should know better. Angela Reyna. Mr Speaker, what I do know better is the central duty of any government is to keep the British people safe. There are now widespread reports that the Prime Minister did not accept warnings from our own intelligence services, granting a Russian oligarch, the son and business part partner of a KGB spy, a seat here in this Parliament. It shouldn't matter if such a warning was about a close personal friend of the Prime Minister. It shouldn't matter if he gave the Prime Minister thousands of pounds of gifts, and it shouldn't matter how much champagne and caviar he serves. There's no ifs or buts when it comes to the safety of the British people. So I ask the Deputy Prime Minister, can he guarantee that the Prime Minister never asked anyone to urge the security services to revise, reconsider or withdraw their assessment of Lord Lebedev of Hampton and Siberia. Deputy Prime Minister. The, the suggestion she's making is sheer nonsense. Yeah. 
but if she wants to talk about national security, then I remind her that she and her shadow cabinet colleagues not so long ago wanted the honourable member for Islington North. Mr Speaker, a man who wanted and talked about abolishing the army, pulling out of Trident, she voted for that. Has there ever been a more ridiculous, reckless, naive moment to call for unilateral nuclear disarmament and pulling out of NATO? Labour, uh, a Labour government would put at risk our security. We do everything we can to protect it. Angela Rayner. Deputy Prime Minister, that it was his Prime Minister in 2015 that said wasn't, he wasn't sure if it was morally irresponsible to work with Putin. So I don't think he's on safe grounds there. Last week, Mr. Speaker, my right honourable friend, the Leader of the Opposition, said that Britain should never again be at the mercy of a foreign dictatorship for our energy and fuel security. This week, the Prime Minister has gone cap in hand from one dictator to another on a begging mission to the Saudi prince to bail him out. Mr Speaker, the government have had 12 years to end their reliance on foreign oil and invest in homegrown energy to secure our supplies. Their failure has left us all vulnerable reliant on another murderous dictator to keep the lights on and pumps open. I'm going to hear this question. If some people don't want... Somebody wants to make a... If you want a little argument, I'm more than happy because we can argue outside when you're there. But for the moment, I need to get on. I want to hear the question. Angela Rayner. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The government benches have a choice. They could accept Labour's plan to save working families hundreds of pounds on bills funded with a one-off levy on the soaring profits of big energy companies. So I ask the Deputy Prime Minister, is their only plan to keep on begging? Deputy Prime Minister. Well, can, I, can I just um, uh, gently say to the Honourable Lady that when she was campaigning, as the rest of them were, to make the Honourable Member for Islington North Prime Minister. This Prime Minister was Foreign Secretary leading the response to the nerve agent attack. I hate to say it, you can't keep going back for 12 years as a defensive mechanism. What we want to do, I'll decide, thank you. Oh, oh, oh. What I want you to do. Deputy Prime Minister, please, if we can try and stick to the agenda, I have a lot of people ahead of me who are desperate to get in without talking about history. How far we want to go back is one thing in passing. Deputy Prime Minister. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Um, when, when she was... Oh, 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 Sir Desmond, he is not responsible for the opposition's policies. This is about the government. This is about questions to the Deputy Prime Minister. I'll put the questions and decide which to write. Deputy Prime Minister. Thank you, uh, Mr Speaker. I was, uh, wanted just to point out, and I hope it's not uh, ancient history, that the Prime Minister was, as Foreign Secretary, galvanising the response to the nerve agent attack uh, in Salisbury at the time where the Honourable Member, the former leader of the Labour Party, uh, was, was siding with Putin against the UK. What did the Honourable Lady have to say on Sky News? 
He's a very strong leader. She can't wait for him to become Prime Minister. There is a fuel energy crisis in Britain. Democracy is at risk. We must support the courageous efforts of President Zelensky and the Ukrainian people. These uncertain times require leadership with integrity. A leader that works with the security services can be trusted to say the right thing for British diplomacy and provide security for the British people. Instead, Mr Speaker, we have this sorry excuse of a government sat before us. They hike, 20, they hike tax on 27 million working people while the super-rich increase their wealth. They watch energy prices rise by over 50% while the companies enjoy profits they didn't even expect. And they cavort with Russian oligarchs in luxury villas while neglecting the security of the British people. And remember, Mr Speaker, they parted while the country was in lockdown and were unable to see their dying loved ones. Can the Deputy Prime Minister look the British people in the eye and really say this government is doing their best in their interest? Deputy Prime Minister. Well, Mr Speaker, I'll tell you what this government, this Prime Minister, have done. A thousand Russian individuals uh, sanctioned, a combined wealth $45 billion. Uh, uh, the impact of the sanctions and the diplomatic effort that this Foreign Secretary and this Prime Minister have led, the ruble plummeting, the Russian stock market at record lows, doubled the interest rates. We've also showed, we've also showed, we've also showed Mr Speaker, the big-hearted spirit of this Government and indeed this nation with the 5,500 visas granted to Ukrainians to come here, and also the humanitarian route, which has now got uh, 100,000 sponsors applying to come uh, to take Ukrainian families in these homes. While she's in her social media echo chamber, that's what this government is doing. my right honourable friend visit the International Criminal Court earlier this week, but they have enduring difficulties with funding. Last year they had a $40 million shortfall in their budget because some participating states failed to meet their annual contribution. The International Criminal Court is only as good as the sum of its parts, so what steps can the government take to secure contingency funding to ensure that one day Russian military commanders in Ukraine can expect to stand trial for war crimes my honourable friends, bang on. Uh, the Assembly of States party is looking at the arrears. I was in The Hague on Monday speaking to the prosecutor and the president of the court. We will be coming forward with a voluntary package of financial and technical support because now, as they look at the situation in Ukraine, we want, and I think the whole House would want, Putin is commanders to know if they continue with war crimes in Ukraine, they'll end up not just in the dock of a court but behind bars. We now come to the leader of the SNP, Ian Blackford. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. And can I welcome our four colleagues from the Parliament of Ukraine who are with us today? We all stand with them. Mr. Speaker, I've spent much of the last week trying to help the Scottish charity, Nipro Kids, established by fans of Hibernian Football Club, who've evacuated 48 children from orphanages in Ukraine and are desperately attempting to provide them with temporary sanctuary in Scotland. Mr. Speaker, 
there is a plane ready and waiting in Poland to bring these orphans to the UK on Friday. But that flight will leave empty without the necessary paperwork from the Home Office. The Polish authorities, Edinburgh City Council, the Scottish Government and the Orphans' Guardians are all working to bring these children to safety. I work with UK Government Ministers to try and make this happen, and I want to commend Lord Harrington in particular for his efforts. But a week on, the Home Office is still proving to be the only obstacle in the way, and it risks leaving these children stranded. So I'm pleading with the Deputy Prime Minister, remove these obstructions before it's too late. Will he work with me and the Ukrainian authorities to guarantee that these 48 Ukrainian orphans will get on that plane this Friday? Yeah. Yeah. Prime Minister. Can I thank the Honourable Gentleman for all he's doing? This is a heartrending uh, situation. We want to do everything we can. Uh, of course, uh, there are a range of issues in this case, including the wishes of the Ukrainian government on where orphan children should go and should be living, uh, whether any necessary permissions have been sought from the Ukrainian and or Polish governments. This isn't uh, actually about bureaucracy. It's about genuine safeguarding issues. But I certainly want to work with him in the best interests of those children. Ian Blackford. I'm asking the government to do just exactly that, because we've been working with the Ukrainian and Polish authorities. We have their support. We need the Home Office to give us the paperwork that will make that happen. Because, Mr Speaker, this one case goes to the heart of the failure in the UK government's response to the biggest refugee crisis in Europe since World War II. It is deeply concerning that it has taken the intervention of several ministers of state, letters to multiple European ambassadors, and the fear of this case being exposed in the Chamber to try and force movement in an urgent case involving almost 50 vulnerable children. Even where there is the will, it seems that simply there is no way that the Home Office can get involved. I shouldn't have been sending letters to the authorities in Ukraine and Poland. The Home Office should have been doing it. If all these powerful people can't make it happen, what hope do all the other children fleeing this awful war have of finding sanctuary in the UK? The United Nations are now estimating that almost one child a second is becoming a refugee from the war in Ukraine. These 48 children will not be the last who need sanctuary and safety. Surely the Deputy Prime Minister agrees it shouldn't have taken this level of intervention and pressure for the Home Office to do the right thing by these children. Can I just say to him, it's very important that the proper international practices on safeguarding are followed. I know know he appreciates that. We're keen to find out if family reunion options with Ukrainian family in the region have been considered. We also know... Can can he just listen for a second, because it's important. We also know that many children in state care in Ukraine have family members in the region for safeguarding and well-being of the children. That must also be considered. More broadly, he raises the issue about refugees and children. On top of the measures that I've already mentioned, uh, we're making plans for the arrival of 100,000 Ukrainian children uh, through the Education Secretary in our schools. And I pay tribute to the Health Secretary for bringing Ukrainian children suffering from cancer over to this country to receive the vital treatment they need. Thank you, Mr Speaker. 
British servicemen and women have served under operations Kibrit and Orbital since 2015, working with Ukrainian armed forces and helping to shore up the eastern flank of NATO, which is now more important than ever. Would the Deputy Prime Minister join with me in putting on the record the, gra the gratitude of this House and consider what recognition we can give them for their service and for their role in history? Yeah. Deputy Prime Minister. She's absolutely right. She's uh, totally right to pay tribute to the professionalism, the dedication, the sacrifice of our uh, armed service men and women every day to defend this country. Uh, she'll know that recognition for all military operations is kept under continuous review, and I know that the Defence Secretary will have heard her very compelling suggestions. Stephen Fuck. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can I first of all wish you and the entire House an early happy St Patrick's Day? The, there was a 3.1% increase to universal credit and other benefits set by the government last September, but inflation is now pushing a 7%. The Joseph Rowntree Foundation, Trussell Trust and many other organisations have highlighted the real jeopardy that millions of people are now facing from a real terms cut in the level of benefits, and other measures from the government simply don't compensate for that. So surely it's not tenable for the government to stick so rigorously to a decision taken six months ago whenever circumstances have changed so radically since then. Prime Minister. Can I thank the Honourable Gentleman? He, look, he's right about the cost of living challenge, not least with the war in Ukraine. The government and the Chancellor have already put in place a £20 billion package across this year, £9 billion uh, to help with energy bills, the, the rest to deal with the wider cost of living issues. That includes raising the national living wage. Uh, on UC that he mentions, we're giving nearly 2 million families an extra £1,000 uh, a year. The kickstart sc uh, scheme, the increasing the personal uh, tax threshold by over 50% since 2010. We're doing everything we can and, of course, we'll keep the cost of living issues under constant and regular review. Yeah. Davis. Thank Good. you, Mr Speaker. With multinationals scaling back Russian operations and local businesses stepping forward with offers of jobs and equipment, once again, British businesses are responding at a time of great challenge. Yeah. Will the Deputy Prime Minister join me in thanking all those businesses across Lincolnshire yeah. who have offered support? And, hand, and can he outline how the government may be able to connect those offers of support with the Ukrainians in most need? Deputy Prime Minister. Can I thank my honourable friend, and I do join him in thanking all those businesses, but also all the charities and the individual families up and down the country who have shown the uh, big-hearted uh, traditions that make this country so great. Um, he will be aware, of course, of the new sponsorship scheme. Uh, we've had overall 100,000 sponsors apply, and of course, working with businesses is particularly valuable uh, because we know uh, that there's huge value not just in terms of allowing those that come here to get uh, access to work, but it also helps them to integrate into our society as confident members of our community. Matt Weston. Thank you, thank you, Mr. Speaker. I'm sure the Deputy Prime Minister will agree with me that when it comes to judging a person. Um, it's often done by the company uh, that they keep. When it comes to uh, when it comes to tennis, when it when it comes to tennis, the prime minister enjoys the company of and backhanders of Lubov Chernikin. When it came to celebrating the election victory, the prime minister prioritised uh, the party hosted by the former KGB agent Alexander Lebedev. He has a great many others, such as uh, Viktor Pedatov and uh, uh, Alex Tomerko as friends. Um, can he therefore tell us uh, what first attracted the Prime Minister 
to the billionaire Russian oligarchs. <laughs> I wasn't quite sure where he was going at the beginning of this question, but what I can tell him, of course, the Prime Minister is not just uh, a very social individual. He... He wants his country, he wants his country to be open, outward-looking to the world. But we have, we were the government, and he was the Prime Minister, and I was the Foreign Secretary, that introduced the Sergei Magnitsky sanctions, that put human rights sanctions, asset freeze and visa bans, not just on uh, Russians, uh, where we have evidence of wrongdoing, but also the, the murderers of, of Khashoggi, also the uh, the persecutors of the Myanmar uh, uh, minority uh, uh, and many others. It was this government, uh, not the Labour Party. Yeah. Are you Baldwin? Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Mr. Yeah, Speaker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The eyes of the world are rightly focused on Putin's evil invasion of Ukraine. Yeah, yeah. But there is still a humanitarian crisis in Afghanistan. And I welcome the fact that the UK government is hosting a pledging conference later this month for that crisis. And can my right honourable friend ensure that we also keep education for those poor children on the agenda? Yeah. Yeah. Deputy Prime Minister. She's absolutely right, and we will keep the focus on Afghanistan and the many other conflicts around the world that need our support. I can tell her that that particular conference will provide specifically support for access to girls' education, a long standing priority of uh, the Prime Minister. And I would also just point out that we've doubled our humanitarian aid to Afghanistan for the financial year to £286 million. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Appeasing murderous despots is never going to be the route to security of energy supply, so wouldn't it make more sense for the Prime Minister to be here talking to UK energy industries? Shouldn't he be talking to renewable energy developers about what they can do to bring their product on stream faster and quicker? And shouldn't he also be speaking to our own offshore oil and gas industry about what they can do in the here and now to improve security of supply and to assist in the journey towards net zero? Yes, he was doing that on Monday evening, I can uh, tell the Honourable Gentleman. And now it's Wednesday, and yes, he's out in Saudi Arabia, uh, closing a £1 billion investment deal, creating 700 jobs in the north in renewable energy. I think the Lib Dems need to keep up. Duncan Baker. Thank you, Mr Speaker. North Norfolk is a rural constituency, and many residents rely on their car to get around, and they heat their homes by using heating oil. The price of crude oil may have come down in the last few days, but the petrol pumps are still going up, and I've had constituents who are quoted £2 a litre for heating oil. This not only affects working families, but pensioners in rural areas who are on a fixed income. Can I ask that the Deputy Prime Minister does everything he can to make sure that in the spring statement we address these problems for really, really rural constituencies that are getting the double whammy of these crippling costs? The Prime Minister. My honourable friend's absolutely right. Uh, he knows that we have got a £20 billion package this year dealing with the cost of living, £9 billion of it focused on energy prices. The uh, issues that he talks about for uh, his constituency, but I think up and down the country, uh, are, are I think very well made, and I know the Chancellor will have heard his, uh, uh, his suggestions. Jeff Smith. Th- thank you, Mr Speaker. The Prime Minister is visiting Saudi Arabia, and as usual, we are told there will be 
frank private discussions with the Saudis on their human rights record. But in the light of the state murder of Jamal Khashoggi, in the light of the brutal executions of 81 men at the weekend, why does the Deputy Prime Minister think that the UK's representations on human rights are so ineffective? And what more will we do to make the Saudis behave ethically? Can I thank the Honourable Gentleman? Can I just say to him, when I was Foreign Secretary and I went to Riyadh twice, and I know the Prime Minister will be raising these issues again, we talked about the women's rights defenders. He says we've been ineffective. ineffective. They've all been released. We talked about Ralph Badawi, the author and critic. He was recently re- released. He mentions Jamal Khashoggi. We applied, I think one of the first to apply, asset freeze and visa bans on those responsible for his murder. So we are an outward, uh, uh, an international country. That is what Britain's role is in the 21st century. But we will never, uh, we will never allow our moral red lines to be blurred. Tom Hunt. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. Um, Rousseau once said about the Polish people, "You may swallow the pole, but you will never digest them." I think that powerful quote says so much for how the Polish people have stood up robustly and strongly against aggression over the years, and also about their steadfast support right now for their close and dear allies, the Ukrainian people. In Ipswich, we've had three lorries go from Ipswich to Lviv in support of the Ukrainian people. Will the Deputy Prime Minister outline the steps the government will take to support our close allies, Poland, as they take an unprecedented number of refugees? And of course, whilst they have their own security concerns in relation to Russia. He's absolutely right, and uh, I pay tribute to uh, not just his constituents, but the Polish uh, community in particular, and of course, uh, for their big hearted um, uh, support for the people of Ukraine. And of course, uh, as a leading donor, I think the second uh, largest donor to Ukraine, we've committed a further £174 million in aid, bring our total to £400 million. But that will also support those countries in the uh, close proximity to Ukraine, their neighbours, uh, and first and foremost will be Poland. Justin Mathers. Thank you, Mr Speaker. On the 28th of April 2018, when he was Foreign Secretary, the Prime Minister is reported to have attended a party at a castle in Italy where he met a former KGB officer. Now, this was just weeks after the Salisbury poisonings and immediately after he attended a NATO summit on Russia. If that is not astonishing enough in itself, it is also reported he travelled there without any security detail or officials present. So will there now be an investigation into what sounds like a complete failure of national security? He's talking total nonsense. I don't have anything to add to what I've already said. In addition to my constituents' concerns for Ukraine, they're also concerned about planning policy I wrote to the Prime Minister in October 2019 about the threat to the Goring Gap. It's against government policy, it's against public interest for every green field that's a strategic gap to be built on. And inspectors made a decision which would wipe away the planning powers of every local council in the country. Can I ask if the Prime Minister will see me and if the government will revoke this inspector's mistaken decision? Can I thank the Honourable Gentleman? Can I also, I mean, I empathise as someone with a massive uh, proportion of grief about my constituency on the the frustrations I think honourable members across the House feel uh, with some uh, planning decisions that that are made. Uh, However, once uh, a planning decision is final, um, it can't be challenged unless it's successfully challenged in the courts. Stephanie Peacock. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Last year, 255 children and young people were admitted to Barnsley Hospital for self-harm. 
That is 15 times the national average. This is a public health crisis. So will the Deputy Prime Minister ask the Health Secretary to meet with me and healthcare providers from Barnsley to immediately respond to this mental health crisis? We've put a huge amount uh, into both mental health uh, and wider uh, the NHS budget, not just on COVID, but to respond to the wider issues. I will certainly make sure, in relation to the specific issue that she raises, that uh, an appropriate health minister will see her. Dr Julian Lewis. Are, are any oligarchs with UK passports on our sanctions list? Can I, can I thank the Chair of the ISC? I think I would have to let the Foreign Secretary and the Foreign Office check carefully and respond to him in due course. Stephen Timms. Thank you, thank you Mr Speaker. Uh, three weeks ago, the Chair of the UK Statistics Authority, Sir David Norgrove, wrote to the Prime Minister to point out that his repeated assertion that employment is now higher than it was before the pandemic is incorrect. Yesterday's uh, employment statistics show 840,000 fewer self-employed people now than before the pandemic and that overall employment is 580,000 lower. Does the Deputy Prime Minister agree that truthfulness is vital to trust in our democracy? Does he accept the correction from Sir David Norgrove? Uh, look, of course, we, we listen very carefully to, 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 to David. But, but what I would say to the honourable gentleman is actually he points to the data yesterday. It showed that unemployment has fallen below four percent, is back, is back at pre-pandemic levels, uh, and has been termed a remarkable success uh, from everyone to the Resolution Foundation. He talks about the truth. There's one golden truth, and that is uh, whenever there is a Labour government in the past, unemployment has always been higher when they left office when they started. Mr Speaker, that's the jobs guarantee you get with Labour. Jack Thank you, Mr Speaker. Thank you, Mr Speaker. We have now provided more than 3,000 anti-tank weapons, training and other military support to Ukraine, alongside crushing financial sanctions on Russia and more bilateral assistance, humanitarian assistance aid than any other country. But can my right honourable friend confirm that we will continue to deliver further military aid and support, and with that we will supply the Star Street anti-aircraft missiles necessary to destroy Russian jets. My my honourable friend is is absolutely right. We've delivered uh, over 3,600 anti-tank missiles, uh, weapons. Uh, We'll also be sending consignment of the Javelin anti-tank missiles, and we are indeed, as he says, exploring the donation of Star Street anti-air missiles. Dan Carlton. Thank you, Mr Speaker. It's welcome that Ukrainians seeking asylum in Britain will have the right to work and access to public services. We should always offer sanctuary to those fleeing persecution. People who come to Britain to make it their home, no matter where they're from or the colour of their skin, make a hugely positive contribution to our society and economy if they're supported to do so. So how can the government now justify not extending the same welcome and the same rights, including the right to work, to all people seeking asylum in Britain? 
Deputy Prime Minister. He is right that we have a strong tradition, and we've shown we've stepped up to the plate with the Hong Kong British National Overseas Citizens, with Operation Pitting, which brought 17,000 back. Uh, and we will go uh, further and beyond the normal rules when there is a crisis, as we've seen in Ukraine. He's absolutely right about what he uh, said in relation to uh, the current scheme. They, those coming here, the Ukrainians can live, work, and access benefits. They can stay for three years with leave to remain. And I'm proud, and the whole House should be proud, not just of the big-hearted approach of this government, but also the 100,000 British sponsors who have come forward and said they will open their homes to those refugees. Sir Ian Duncan Smith. Uh, Mr. Speaker, can I ask my right honourable friend that as the brilliant Ukrainian people fight and die on a daily basis for their rights of freedom and democracy, it's important, therefore, that we make something very clear, and I wonder if he would do this. They have asked for membership of NATO for a significant period of time, and NATO has chosen not to give it to them. My concern now is no matter what they decide, it remains their absolute right as a free nation and a free people to make such an application in the future, and noticing that Finland is talking about being a member, that we treat them in exactly the same way as we would an application from Finland. Well, well, can I thank my right honourable friend? I mean, he will have heard what uh, President Zelensky has said overnight in relation to this. But one of the things that we've always been crystal clear as a government is that if there is a diplomatic off-ramp, and I have to say we uh, have a heavy measure of scepticism about whether Putin could ever fulfil such a deal, but if there is, it has to be done with the will and the volition of the Ukrainian president and the Ukrainian people. Mm. We now come to Karol Monaghan. Thank you, Mr Speaker. My constituent is a popular parish priest in Glasgow. Originally from Nigeria, he became a British citizen last year and applied for his first British passport last summer. On his naturalisation certificate issued by the Home Secretary, it includes his title Reverend Father under his name. This is causing the passport office unexplained difficulties and seven months on he's still waiting for his passport. Can I ask the Deputy Prime Minister to look at this case as a matter of urgency? His mother is extremely ill in Nigeria. He needs to get his passport to visit her. Deputy Prime Minister. Can I I thank the Honourable Lady for raising that case? It sounds very sensitive. I will make sure a Home Office Minister looks at it as a matter of urgency. That finishes questions. I'll just let the room clear and then I'll do a punch one.